This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible.com. If you would like to support this podcast and start a 30-day trial membership, visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Season 11, Episode 29. This is Writing Excuses, thriller as subgenre. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And thrillers. We're still talking about thrillers. Um, What makes you turn the page for a thriller? That's a funny question. Because that's like the whole point of thrillers. That's the whole point of thrillers. (laughs) Yeah. How do you, yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, because like we talked about last time, it's the, uh, the, the whole point of a thriller is that your adrenaline is up. Yep. You are pumped, you are amped, you are nervous, you are agitated, and you want to, you want that to end. Okay. Other than changing your chapter length, um, how do you inject this into a story? I think a lot of it is that one of the things that you're specifically looking for is for the moment when the, the character is safe. Uh-huh. So one of the things that you can do when you're trying to inject it to, to use thriller elements in mm-hmm. a in a different form is that you've got a scene in which your character is in danger and that you ke- you keep it going and that there is never a moment in that scene where you think that they might be safe. Yeah. Any scene, really, where you're putting your character or something they love in direct danger is going to borrow from thriller. Yeah, and I think usually we're talking about physical peril with yes, thriller. Yes, 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 rather than mental peril or some very good point. Um, so what can we learn from thrillers? Let's say that I'm writing a scene um, where, you know, the main character— she finds out that her mother has been kidnapped and is in danger. How could I borrow something from thrillers to make that a more powerful scene than otherwise it might have been? Um, the, what we just said about, uh, you know, we want to turn the page and find out that they're safe. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to convince me as a reader that safety does lie ahead somewhere. Mm, and that's okay. the difference for me between uh, thriller in many senses, or in many in many situations, mm-hmm. and horror. Uh, if you are using it as a subgenre, um, then one of the promises you need to have made to the reader in your you know with the other elements is mm-hmm. that safety is a thing that can happen in this book. Okay, that's a that's a really interesting take on it. I'm glad you brought that well, up. Well, and and at the same time. I think one of the one of the hallmarks of horror is that you are waiting for something terrible to happen. Whereas mm-hmm. in a thriller, the threat is immediate. Yeah, yeah. in There's a thriller, that. everything's awful right now, but you know you can make it to the end if you just keep running. So I'm going to give you two examples, and I'm going to use cinema as we often do because more people have experienced these individual pieces um, of hybrid thrillers, uh, and they're very different in tone. One is Batman, The Dark Knight, which is a city at siege thriller, kind of. And then the other one is the new Captain America movie. Now, we're using superheroes. We talked about this a little bit before. Is recently, these superhero films, they've had to add subgenres to each one in order to make them different from one another. Um, so even though sometimes they might be, not be the greatest film ever, what they do illustrate is how you can take a similar premise, add a subgenre to it, and change it into something else. And both of these films did that. Um, the Winter Soldier, the Captain America one, was a straight-up spy thriller told with Captain America as the protagonist. And then The Dark Knight is, like I said, City at Siege, 
there is a, a madman who's going to destroy the city, and it's about Batman facing off with him, and both quintessential types of thrillers with very different tones. One's very dark, one's very much more light. I think the difference between the two lies in the fact, you said you said spy thriller. Yes. Spy novels, uh, one of the elements in there, besides the elemental, the mm-hmm. anxiety, is the intrigue. Yeah. The, the, the curiosity, mystery. the yep. mystery. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when you blend those, when you blend those two elements, you have your spy thriller. That right. You have your bookshelf genre of thriller. Um, and that's what they did with Captain America with that's, Winter that's, Soldier. That's it, exactly. I hadn't even been thinking that, but that's what it is, is that one's a mystery because it's like, who's behind this? Mm-hmm. Who, who's pulling the strings? Where in the Dark Knight, it's never who's behind this. We know who's behind it. And yeah. we are terrified of him. Yeah. yeah. So going back to that example that you were using of, mm-hmm. you know, if you've got to, receiving information that someone's been kidnapped. Yeah. Um, if in a straight up mystery, you receive the information, then you have to go find them. Mm-hmm. In a thriller, you receive the information while you were being chased. Exactly. That's what Captain America does is he is solving the mystery while on the run from bad guys. Well, what about James Bond, who's never chased? He always sleeps with somebody. He's being chased a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you know, that was terrible. I know, that was so bad. Oh, this is oh, why so we can't have nice things. <laughs> like, well, I'm usually the one who makes those jokes. Um, the kidnapping. Coming back to the kidnapping. One of the classic classic elements is, you know, you're waiting for the phone call. Uh, or, the you know, the kidnappers drop a phone with you and you are supposed to answer uh-huh. this phone. Then you lose the phone. Right. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, now we've, we've raised the tension and we have a thriller, uh, in which I'm not just sitting around waiting for the next phone call. I'm trying to figure out how to, how to put things back together. You know, another hallmark of, of thriller to answer Mm -hmm. your question of how can you make that my mom just got kidnapped, how you can make, how can you make it a thriller is by taking away the people that the protagonist can trust. Right. This is not a kindly, you know, pair of policemen who are letting mm-hmm. me know that my mom's been kidnapped because I can't trust the cops because they're in on it somehow, or I think they are. You know, thinking of several of um, fantasy writers, friends of mine, who do thriller hybridized um, fantasies. Um, Jim Butcher, his Codex Alera books, um, are a great example of this. He plots them and paces them like a thriller, um, which makes sense because the Dresden Files have some very thriller elements to them. Um, Brent Weeks does the same things mm-hmm. in his books. And the thing that they do is it's not just peril. There's three other things happening at the same time Mm -hmm. that, you know, saving my mom is only one of the things that our, our poor protagonist has to do with, deal with. She's like beset by all of these other things. And then the other is the problems roll one into another. Um, As soon as you solve something, that's not the victory. It's okay. We've saved my mother, but then boom, you know, the explosion goes off. And this is why I love Mary's um, talking about yes, but no, and, which we had you listen to a couple of weeks ago, is because thrillers seem like they often pace and plot like this. There's always the next problem coming right at you. And the hero can be very capable. The woman we're talking about in mm-hmm. this hypothetical story, she can be super capable. And that's why James Bond films can work with him being extra competent is because there's never a moment for him to take a break and bask in the fact that he's been victorious until maybe the end. But but what is separating that from, say, a horror or a mystery yeah. is that really you're talking about a series of successes. Yes. I succeed, I succeed, I succeed. Over and over I demonstrate my competence and I overcome obstacles all the time 
I just haven't won yet. Yeah, you know, I've I've often mentioned I read a I've read a couple of Dirk Pitt books, which are thrillers. Um, and in one of them, it's like it's almost like competence. Everyone's super competent. You love watching their competence as they do these things. And there was like. Uh, it's been so long, so I'm going to get details wrong. But uh, Dirk Pitt's accountant is trapped on an island with terrorists by himself. And he thinks to himself, what would Dirk Pitt do? And so he goes and steals a bazooka, blows their helicopter out of the air, brings them all down, you know, kills them all. It's just an accountant. <laughs> and he is, he is so competent. And you never have a moment where, oh, no, I'm the poor accountant. What's going to happen? I'll just, you know, hide from these guys. It is, we are action movie. Go! And... That's how these things work. Even when you're in danger, you are your characters are often very competent. Yeah, and I think that one of the things looking at the yes, but no end is that mm-hmm. the, the yes, but is talking about unintended consequences. Yes. And that's one of the things that, that happens when you've got a series of tri-fail cycles that are built on successes is that your character succeeds, but there are unintended consequences from it. It's like, um, oh, I can't remember which... Oh, there's multiple films where someone is trying to stop a bad guy and then accidentally knocks the baby carriage down the stairs. Yeah, you know, and, and, <laughs> yeah exactly. And they, they stop the baby carriage. They succeed yes. in stopping the baby carriage. The unintended consequence is bad guy has gotten away. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it, it's that kind of thing, looking for those that you can build in. The uh, first half of Princess Bride is actually structured this way. Mm. Oh, yeah. Where I have yeah. defeated one henchman after another in a never-ending string, but that doesn't mean I've won yet. Yeah. Let's stop for our Book of the Week. All right. Book of the Week is Planetfall by Emma Newman, and it's actually narrated by Emma Newman. Um, She's an actress uh, before she was a writer. I read this book and was blown away by it. It has a a thriller subplot, uh, or it's not even a thriller subplot. It has thriller elements running all the way through it. It is not a thriller. This is a science fiction book. It's about a group of people who have landed on a new planet. Um, and and it's about, uh, it takes place about 50 years after they've established this new planet, after Planetfall. There are things going on in this book that I want you to go in and read this book blind. I will just mm. tell you that it is perhaps the best book that I've read in the past year. Wow. Um, and read it blind. And I was uh, coming through the airport on the way to record these and the bookseller at Barbara's Books was talking about Planetfall and that she is just handing it to people and saying, just read this, don't ask me any questions. That is cool. <laughs> um, uh, and that bookseller, by the way, is someone that I respect a lot. She knows her stuff. Yes, yeah, so, so this is Planetfall by Emma Newman and you can pick up um, an audio read by Emma at audiblepodcast.com backslash excuse and you can start a 30-day trial and have Planetfall be your first book. Excellent. Actually, a forward slash. Forward slash. It is a forward slash. But that's <laughs> so it's okay. just a that's slash. My, that's, my inner, that's my inner nerd. I just um, love my slash fiction. On the, on the subject of inner nerd, talking mm-hmm. about uh, a thriller as a subgenre, I realized that uh, we are totally building that, we being me and Alan and Sandra, in the Planet Mercenary role-playing game, mm. where uh, what characters want, or characters, what players want is to be super competent and safe and get all the loot. And what we have done in the game is build time bomb mechanics over and over and over again so they don't get to stop and position all the pieces on the board. They have to keep thinking. They have to keep moving as players. And the whole, the yes, but, no, and, uh, that's one of the rules we 
Uh, it's one of the rules that we hand them. Uh, the time bomb of the game chief counting things down. Uh, and I, ju I just put that together now. Oh my gosh, I'm totally using thriller as a subgenre for humor because the release of tension uh, in the thriller element is you know, in the Schlockmerschner universe. Is, right, you know, it's very humor. complimentary. You yeah. know, I, it occurs to me that if you want to add a thriller sub-element, actually it doesn't just occur to me, I've known this for a long time, <laughs> adding a time bomb is one of the best ways to ramp up the tension in a, in a story and take really any other plot and add a thriller element to it. It's kind of like we said with, um, with mystery, that with mystery, the mystery is kind of the glue that can hold together another plot. Well, thriller is what can make the page turning in another plot happen that much more quickly, mm -hmm. whether you have a mystery or a relationship or things like this. Um, if these two characters don't learn to work together, then this will happen in this amount of time. Suddenly you have much more of a thriller subplot than you otherwise had. Now, yeah. thriller is one that I want to actually caution mm. because it can be very dangerous, I think, to add thriller to something else and if you're not careful, if, if you've ever read a book or watched a movie and thought that really started to take itself way too seriously in the third act, that's more often than not, that's an adventure turning into a thriller mm. because they're just trying to ramp up the tension and they're doing it wrong. What, what do they do wrong? I think, it's, I think it's because they are adding stakes and losing what made the rest of the story work. <gasps> you know? Yeah. If, if you go direct from adventure to thriller or mystery to thriller, then you're really changing the genre. Hmm. Whereas if you keep it as an adventure or a mystery and add thriller elements, then it's I think it still feels like it's, it's more of a piece. And so you can you know, add that, that time bomb or that uh, breathlessness without losing what got you there in the first place. Yeah, and I think that when you're adding those things, a lot of times, like with the, the time bomb, the stakes, they are something that is present from the beginning successfully and where it goes off the rails is when you bring in a new stake that is not really related to everything else that's going on right um and it's often not really personal to the it's just like it's it's the and now we're going to blow up the world and it's like well the fate of the world mm -hmm. hasn't been very at stake common yeah until new just writer now. mistake which is to add something far later in the book than you should have uh because you don't know which element you're really plugging. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the other way to do this wrong is to lose the tone. Mm. Uh -huh. You know, if you have a, a very specific tone of whatever your main story is about, if, if you lose that and you go for this just kind of mm -hmm. everyone hard on the sleeve, edge of your seat kind of thriller, then it feels wrong. Yeah. Now, you can use thriller. We've been talking about using it as a subplot, but I actually yeah. want to talk just a little bit about using it just as a spice. Yes, yes. Like yes. one of the things that you can do if if you've got, you know, you've got a piece of action that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. um, like your your main character needs to make a cake for whatever reason. And Lord knows why you need to show this on the page, but you do. Yes. <laughs> um, if there is a series of cascading problems that right. goes on. Making the cake. Making the cake. You can create a thriller-like breathlessness to making the cake that's going to make the reader keep turning the page. Right, right. I think that's really good because I've seen movies like that where it's like, do they get the cake baked on time mm -hmm. and come out with the right one is as tense as sometimes is James Bond going to 
succeed in not getting shot. Right. And this is actually something that you see a lot when you're looking at a farce. Mm-hmm. Um, that they, what yep. they've done is that it's, it's thriller pacing. Mm-hmm. It's just that they're playing it funny. You know, the other thing that it occurs to me, if you want to add a little bit more of this to what you want to learn from thrillers, is making it personal. You know, that's a cliche in the industry, and people do it wrong all the time. Uh, you've mentioned fridging girlfriends yeah. um, is like the go-to hack way and to make this. we kept saying kidnapped mom. Yeah, we say yeah. kidnapped mom. <laughs> um, but you can do that without making it, you know, feel hackneyed by making it a, a part of the story, personal to the character. And this is another may, um, new writer problem is that they often will write someone who's observing the tension rather than being at the center of the tension. Yeah, and and when we talk about raising the stakes and making it personal to mm-hmm. the to the character, we're we're really talking about making making it clear to the reader why it matters to yeah. the character. Mm-hmm. Like, this is actually something that Jane Austen does really really well. Yeah. she can make you understand why that dropped handkerchief was so important, mm-hmm. and and a lot of what we're talking about there is the the straight up mechanical thing of uh, internal motivation or what is often called free and direct speech which is basically you just say what the character is thinking, but you say it in third person as part of the narration. You know, oh, you know, this vase broke. I am sad about the vase breaking. I mean, you wouldn't say I'm sad about the vase breaking. But, you know, the vase is going to break. Okay, that's a stake. But the vase is going to break. It's the last thing that I have of my grandmother's. There you go. That's a perfect example. You know, that raises the stake of the vase breaking. If the vase breaks... It's going to release a demon and destroy the world. Yes. That story could work, but it may not be a good match for what you're currently writing. And that's not what we're talking about when people say raise the stakes. Very different kind of motivation. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the reason that fridging the girlfriend has become such a, you know, kind of a watchword for stakes that feel wrong is because, you know, if, if my mom is kidnapped, for example, really that's her story. Mm-hmm. You know, she is the one, she has internal motivations. She is an external motivator to my story. And, you know, with the vase, that's the thing. If I have a, a kind of deep emotional reason to love that vase, that's more internal than, well, I just want to stop demons from coming. Yeah. There, it's the, it's the demon coming that's the problem, not the loss of the vase itself. So I'm going to stop us here and give you some homework. Um, And I'm going to suggest that you practice your cliffhangers. Um, A lot of people ask me, students ask me this, I get a ton of questions over Twitter about how do you decide how long a chapter should be? Well, one of the number one things you can learn from thrillers is practicing how to end a chapter in a way that pulls someone to the next one. What I want you to avoid are the cheap tricks. So I want you to look at chapters you've written or write new ones where something monumental, something really cool happens at the end. And it is so cool that the person wants to turn the page and read what happens next, rather than hinting that something cool is going to happen in the next page. Practice doing this a few times. Practice chopping your chapters in different places from what you've already written and see what kind of effects you can create through varying chapter length and varying where you end them. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. 
jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.